not fear the one and only Tucker Carlson. He's here, right here, right now. Buck up, it's going to get better. Hey everybody, welcome to Not Really Tuckered Out. I'm Troy. I'm Tyler. Normally we're a show where we talk about Tucker Carlson. And we tried to mix it up today, and uh, apparently the the universe could not allow it. Yes, we have strayed from our path and we have been punished. <laughs> <laughs> um, we recorded a little over an hour and a half, so we, we were almost done with that bad boy. And then my laptop did crash and everything is gone and it's very late. I started this recording drunk, and I'm now hungover. <laughs> so, um, we don't have a full episode this week. We apologize. And to our amazing patrons who have signed up since last time, we'll throw, we'll throw out a proper shout-out in the next run. Yeah. In the meantime, this week, I'll take the... Uh, if you're a patron, if you, if you support the show, you might have seen... I've had a, a bonus episode up there. It's just a 45 minutes mini-episode. I'll make that one public on Monday this week so you're not left hanging. Um, okay. And then we will be back in two weeks with a full, freshly recorded, not lost to time episode. I think it'll be a, just a week for you. Two weeks for us. Yeah, you're... you're wow. It's very late. <laughs> it's so late. <laughs> uh, yeah, Tr- Troy's going on vacation, so we're recording early. Um, but yeah... The, it's just going to be a week for everyone. Yeah, and I'm, um, on, I'm on this new bipolar medicine that for some reason now I can only sleep between the hours of 1 and 3 p.m. <laughs> yeah, um, it's been a rough week for us. We will uh, try to get everyone entertained um, for this week until we get back on our feet next week. So right. thank you to everyone. We apologize for the inconvenience. Yeah, thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, here is the... Bonus mini-episode that I recorded a couple weeks back with my brother. Hello, welcome to Tuckered Out. I'm Troy. And normally, here with me is my good friend Tyler, but today I've got with me instead my dear brother, Thomas. Hey, what's up? Uh, my name's Thomas. I'm I'm his brother. If, if you've listened to the show before, normally what we do is uh, it dissect a couple of days out of the week on Tucker Carlson tonight to um, find out what, what he's lying about and why he's doing it. I mentioned a couple of times on the show that just this past month, Tucker started a new podcast called Tucker Carlson Today. It comes out on Fox Nation. So I've been dutifully listening to those as they came out, and most of them are pretty boring. It's all a bunch of like cancel culture stuff and these dumb values fights that I can't do anything about. But this past week, one came out that was pretty fun. And uh, so on this special 420 edition of Tuckered Out, we are going to be talking about the devil's lettuce am i right am i right thomas uh sure <laughs> see we, I, we've dropped nicknames we just say weed this past week tucker did an episode of his podcast called smoked out which he brought on one of his regular guests alex berenson to talk about how scary marijuana legalization is listeners of the show before you might be familiar with alex berenson he uh he spreads a lot of scientific misinformation he gets very upset when uh, people don't report on his terrible books. He wrote a, sh- a shitty novel called The Power Couple that I read an excerpt of. But before he was writing shitty novels, he was writing shitty quote-unquote academic books, such as Tell Your Children, which warned of the dangers of marijuana to spur on violent behavior and psychosis. That book is why he's on Tucker's show today. This dude 
already kind of sounds like the the kind of people that made the commercial where uh like a 60-year-old white dad probably in a suburban home walks up with a a dime bag of weed and asks his sons whose it is <laughs> and then the oldest son speaks up and they all back him into a corner with knives oh screaming not only once oh my god i literally watched that this morning while i was doing research for this episode <laughs> yeah yeah it's out there pretty easy me. to find <laughs> super inaccurate um yeah, so without further ado, let's jump right into our first clip. This is Tucker introducing the theme of today's show. Welcome to Tucker Carlson Today. One of the biggest and least talked about changes in the country over the past couple of years, but particularly during COVID, is that everyone smokes weed now. It's not just kids, it's your friends. It might be your parents. Tons of older people are getting high in their houses. This is a huge change. The social sanctions against using marijuana have disappeared, and increasingly the legal sanctions have too. States across the country are legalizing recreational marijuana, not just medical marijuana, but smoking weed for fun. It's my stars. <laughs> same category, less regulated in some ways, as alcohol. This is a civil rights issue, they tell us. It's an equity issue. You may be a racist if you oppose it. So this is a huge change. We're undoing a hundred years of law and custom in a very short period of time. One of the natural results of this, as noted, is that many more people are smoking marijuana and they're smoking a lot more of it. So what effects is this having, not just on the society, but on individuals? What happens if you smoke a lot of marijuana? I don't know in what context marijuana is less regulated than alcohol, but... <laughs> um. I mean, it's it's pretty expensive to get, like, a marijuana seller license or, like, a retail license for it, but it's kind of just viewed the same, I feel like, at this point, at least in Michigan. Like, it's... Right, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, been, it's been legal a little over a year where we live now. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, sure, society has collapsed, but <laughs> there are multiple things to blame. <laughs> If anything, smoking weed is making it better. Yeah, certainly making it easier to get through the day. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so then at this point, he, he introduces Alex Berenson, and they're going to get into the, the content of the book, Tell Your Children. Here you wrote this book saying, wait a second, you know, maybe we should think through what the effects of all this weed smoking might be. Here's a clip from you from January 2019, which I guess is like over two years ago, coming on to talk about your book. It turns out that there is a proven link between cannabis and psychosis. There's a very, very strong uh, risk that if you smoke too much when you're, uh, when you're in your teens, you're more likely to develop schizophrenia, which is really a devastating mental illness for uh, people. Yeah, awful, for, not just for the people who suffer, but their families. It destroys families. And, uh, and, for, and furthermore, there's a downstream link uh, between psychosis and violence. So. Reefer madness basically is real. If you tell kids the truth about, you know, drug use and about addiction and harms, they'll they'll respond. I forgot to mention up top, I apologize for the audio in some of these clips. That background noise is on their end, um, so there's nothing I can do about it. But, uh, yeah, so marijuana leads to schizophrenia. Thoughts? First off, no. <laughs> um, being in a small town, uh, small lower class town for the most part in a state where weed is legal 
and it's only legal because everyone smoked it when it was illegal, um, you meet a lot of interesting people. And a lot of people that sell. I mean, I know probably eight or nine people on a first-name basis. One of the people I frequently purchased the product from, he was an older dude. And he's got a better head on his shoulders than most people I know. And being an older dude, selling weed, decent weed, in a small town, you're going to have a lot of people your age that, you know, you've been through the course of life with that probably all smoke weed too. Because what else are they doing? A couple people here and there um, were not the brightest bunch of the group, but they weren't by any means under a state of psychosis or schizophrenic. By any means. And these are all people, I think the lowest was probably like 55 years old. And they all seemed pretty coherent. And they smoked probably the most I'd ever seen anyone smoke before. <laughs> it was, if you if you got any experience or anything about wax or distillate, we're talking pucks of that a day between the group. Like, it was, it's heavy. Everybody is going to have a different relationship with something, you know? Like it, Yeah. So I, I tracked down a few of the claims Alex Berenson makes to support his argument that there's this massive psychosis risk. In purely technical terms, he is not a hundred percent wrong. That there is a very very minimal uptick in uh, psychosis, but the paper that he cites to prove this doesn't actually draw that conclusion. Uh, if you go back and read the paper he cites, it's from the uh, National Institutes of Health. They it was a 2020 study. They reviewed. I want to say 64 different studies on the effects of marijuana and mental health and um, assessed all of those results together to build a, a model of like what the general trend show. One of the things they found was that it can appear that there's a stronger link between weed and psychosis than there actually is because in people who might have a predisposition towards psychosis, if they, you, if they smoke a lot of weed, they tend to um, start exhibiting those symptoms sooner than otherwise. So the rates aren't necessarily that much higher, it just, there's earlier onset, so then on a graph it looks like, oh look, all these young people who smoke weed are having way more psychosis. Well, not compared to the general population, they're just showing up earlier. And the the study goes on to say that there there's no re reason to believe from the data that it's necessarily a one-to-one -one causation. It could be um, people who are prone to some psychological distress might, be, might gravitate toward weed as a means of self-medication. So that could be another reason for the the numbers lining up like they do. If A leads to B, B can also lead to A. So then the the report also notes in certain societies, the incidence of schizophrenia has remained stable over the past 50 years despite the introduction of cannabis into those settings. So it's clearly not a, a rule that societies that accept weed use without stigma experience greater rates of mental health issues. That's just not supported by the data that Alex seems to think it is. One of the biggest arguments he leans on in his book is that in the early 19th and 20th centuries, both Mexico and India had a kind of a consensus in their culture that weed led to psychosis, and they were separated by 9,600 miles and had no contact, so if they both came to the same conclusion, doesn't that mean we should pay attention to that? But here's the thing. For the, on the part of Mexico, he, he cites the work of a man by the name of Isaac Campos. Um, Isaac Campos wrote a book on Mexican attitudes toward weed in the early 19th century, and Alex uses Campos's book as evidence that they had this overwhelmingly negative view of it as a mental health detriment. 
But Isaac Campus is on record saying that Alex Berenson is severely mis- misrepresenting his book, and that's not what he was trying to say at all. It, he he talks about the at the time just the areas in the social strata that tended to use weed more. They were like prison and uh, pr- prison populations or like hard labor populations, military officers, things like that. Groups that also were more likely to be involved in violent activity. So then the fact that they were also more likely to use weed didn't necessarily contribute to the violence. It's just there was an overlap in the demographics. Well, first I got to ask, when were these statistics like found? Because I'm just trying to dissect the article here a little bit. Yeah, so there are um, the the review that looked at the 64 studies to get kind of the general trends. That one was a 2020 study. Oh, okay. Um, well, I imagine the people that do these kind of reviews, especially based off just like statistics, hey, we're going to ask you a couple questions and then make you a number kind of thing. It's going to be a little prejudiced, I feel like, uh, because, you know, it. you said, you know, military officers, prisoners, things like that have kind of like a violent disposition. Uh, violence messes with mental health a little bit. And obviously, when you're struggling from something and because a, a lot of big pharma doesn't do much for anybody, uh, you're going to smoke weed. And I feel like that's that's something they understood. So rather than go through the effort to try and find everyday people that smoke weed, they're just going to go straight to the group that they know is doing it because big pharma is not taking care of it. So, of course, that's going to skew the numbers a little bit. Yeah, it's it's a readily available means of making a difficult life easier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then the on the other end, as far as the India example that he tries to use, he he cites a bunch of asylum reports that seem to imply that a ton of the a ton of violent psychosis patients admitted to Indian asylums were using weed. The Indian government performed a review of those reports and found them deeply flawed. Most of those cases involved amphetamines or opiates as well. Alex actually acknowledges that in his book, but then just completely ignores it and continues using it as evidence. <laughs> when you wing it on the presentation. Yeah, so he it, his his evidence is flimsy, is the point I'm trying to make. Yeah. So with that said, let's move into some of Alex's specific grievances. He is real upset at the uh, the effort to treat weed as medicine. Very quickly, you know, this is an addictive product, which again is something that the cannabis lobby has lied about for a long time because it's not it's not physically addictive. Um, but it's very psychologically addictive. In the- and I, I want to pause it there just to say, like, so is fucking everything. Yeah, <laughs> too much of anything becomes habit, becomes addiction. Yeah, like, we've all watched My Strange Addiction, people who eat, like, fucking couch stuffing. That, that's not doing anything physically that's keeping them addicted. <laughs> yeah. I mean, of course, it's going to be psychologically addictive. It makes life easier yeah. for a kind of a mental standpoint. Yeah, not, not not to downplay that it exists, it's just not... It, the fact that he's trying to wield this as a cudgel, like, uh, oh, well, it is it, it is psychologically addictive, the can- cannabis lobby is lying to you. It's like, no, man, just that's obvious. <laughs> People like to do things that make them feel good. I mean, sugar is addictive, so maybe he should chill on the $6 Starbucks. <laughs> Caffeine as well. You know, that's and this is you know, that's true of cocaine. Okay, cocaine is not physically addictive. That's right. But you know, people who use it will tell you it's pretty hard to stop. What's so interesting, you mentioned cocaine, you, you point out that marijuana has been marketed as a medicine. Cocaine was marketed as a medicine yes, it was. in one of the first Arthur Conan Doyle stories. I think it's a sign of four 
It's, it was originally he, he used described as a medicine. injecting cocaine as medicine. Heroin famously was a medicine. That's Tobacco right. was a medicine. That's right. Has there ever been a drug that wasn't a medicine? No, I mean alcohol was, you know, was a, in, in, during prohibition. You could get a doctor's note to use alcohol. And, you know, and alcohol has medicinal qualities. It's a good muscle relaxant. Well, so does know. nicotine. That's, That's right. right. That's right. But we don't pretend that people are using them as medicines. His his line there about uh, pretending to use those medicines is a little bit insensitive, I would say, to the people who rely on it to mitigate pain throughout their their day-to-day life. Agreed. But his broader point there, all of these drugs, you know, they started out as medicine. You can't, you can't quite compare cocaine to weed, though, <laughs> yeah. and say that just because they both start out as medicine, they're on the same level. Yeah, and... I, and, and heroin as well. Yeah, and this is this is more my personal view. Um, no one is under any uh, obligation from facts to agree with me here. But my my stance on this is that anything can be medicinal and anything can be harmful. It there there are no bad substances. It's your relationship with the substance. Um, oh, the dog got the rug. <laughs> yeah, we're at the we're at the mercy of a puppy who likes the taste of my microphone cables and toes. <laughs> okay, so a drug that it's it's really really hard. And I would say exceedingly rare to have a not de- not detrimental re- relationship with is like meth, right? But so the, all the people I've ever known who struggled with that, they didn't jump into meth because it made them feel good. They jumped into it because they were a single mom and poor, and they had to be awake 24 hours a day, and they couldn't afford food, so they needed an appetite suppressant. So, like, it's, I don't think it's a good idea, but I get it. And people have different relationships with the substances, and they approach things in their lives. To, I mean, Tucker. Tucker spends $300 a week on nicotine gum, and he says all the time that it enriches his life and makes him sharper. And that's a substance he's chosen to have a relationship with, and it seems to be stable. So, it None of this is as black and white as Alex Berenson wants it to be. So, I'm sorry, I smoked weed before this, I'm trying to catch up. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, if it's stable, there's no real problem with it. It's not like I'm going to smoke two joints a day and quit my job, go live in the woods and try to find Bigfoot. It's not the same it's not quite the same thing as meth i mean people yeah i mean i also understand that you know if you have kind of a garbage job you're struggling with bills you don't have health insurance you're not going to be able to get prescribed something that'll help you get awake all day or like stay awake all day and then there's other alternatives like caffeine pills like fastens but obviously caffeine's also addictive and that can actually get unstable Uh, mess up your digestive tract you won't get good sleep at night it's gonna kind of just ruin you if you get too into that so i'm not endorsing meth usage but it's understandable right want to be very clear this is not a pro meth podcast yeah (laughs) (laughs) but on top of that yeah i mean weed also a muscle relaxant just as alcohol is i mean you get a heavy workout in for the day you can't walk the next day just take a couple puffs off your kingpin or whatever you're good what drives me crazy is that at a different point in this interview, Alex says, like, well, you know, it, weed is more addictive than alcohol. And his evidence for that is people who use weed as their, like, preferred preferred substance report using it more frequently throughout a day than people who use alcohol as their preferred substance. 
Um, if you take into account the different ways the substances work, yeah, that's obvious. And he himself made the distinction earlier that weed isn't physically addictive. Well, alcohol fucking is. Like, you and I have seen alcohol withdrawal. It's ugly. Oh, yeah. It's real bad. And just, I, I wouldn't be harping on Alex's hesitancy so much here if he weren't doing this explicitly. I mean, he says in this interview he's doing this explicitly to try and counter the the legalization lobby because he thinks legalization is a bad idea. Well, okay, there are going to be some people who have bad relationships with weed. Like, that's just going to happen. And you don't help those people by criminalizing their behavior. <laughs> no, I mean, was it Portugal that decriminalized pretty much any drug and a ton of people came forward to help? I think it's Portugal anyway. Yeah, it... Like, what you do not need when you're trying to get out of a, a bad relationship with the substance is to be thrown in prison. <laughs> no. Let's see. So, after they move on from the, the medicine complaint, Alex Berenson, uh, an old white guy, wants you to know that he is absolutely certain there is no racial disparity in enforcement. That's precious. Um, and, but for, for 20 years, we've pretended this about cannabis, and people have gotten very, very confused. What, what does it do to the integrity of the medical establishment when you do that? I, 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 it's not good. No. <laughs> you know, I, I, look, and doctors, they're really caught, especially psychiatrists, okay? You know, they, they see the problems that heavy use has caused and, you know, and is causing. And, uh, but they don't want to talk about it. It puts... It's uncomfortable for them, and this has been framed as a social justice issue. You know, this is, okay, one big platform of the legalization lobby is, oh, it's medicine, and they point to all these nonsense studies uh, showing, you know. Unlike Alex Berenson's rock-solid studies that the authors say he misrepresents. Yeah, <laughs> the man who shoots from a glass house. <laughs> Various medicinal uses, which never or almost never hold up when you try to do randomized controlled trials to actually prove, you know, beyond anecdote that these work. Uh, but it's also, well, there's your huge racial disparities in arrests here. Yeah. Okay. So that used to be more true than it is. Um, but even when it was very true, very, very few people wound up in jail or prison for cannabis, I mean, possession or even low-level dealing. Yep, I, I can tell by your face that that hit you. <laughs> I'm sorry, did he say very few people have ended up in prison for possession? He sure did. Talk about supporting everything you say with, like, weak, falsified arguments. Oh, my. Yeah, it, um, a majority of people in the prison system are there for drug crimes, and over half of drug arrests are weed possession. Yeah, it's easy to grow, and it's not that harmful. Of course it's going to be that common. I also like how he asked about the integrity of, like, the uh, like medical departments and how everyone's getting uneasy. Because they don't have to get prescription medicine anymore. <laughs> yeah, that, that's. I guess that's one way to look at the situation. <laughs> yep. I mean, that was that was true even 15 years I ago. I thought we and sent millions to jail no, for having okay. a joint in the ashtray. Yeah, that's totally untrue. Um, uh, you know, in, in in most, I mean, maybe in the South, there's a handful of people still in jail for simple possession. Although even in those cases. It would often be a plea bargain to something else, but right. but I'm not going to say there's none because there are clear, there are a few probably still. But for you to do significant prison time for moving cannabis, you have to be moving cannabis by the not just the trunk load, but probably the truck load. Um, and and you know I'm sure somebody out there will find a case that you know that 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 contradicts that. But but for the most part, that is true. 
Um, so, so again, I'm not going to say there's no racial equity issues here. I'm going to say that they're, they've been vastly overstated um, when, you, when you look at uh, what really has happened, even in pre-legalization in the last 15 I like how Tucker called them out on the millions arrested for a joint in the ashtray. <laughs> yeah. And he just says, absolutely not true. It's it's one of those, like, it, the sources trust me, bro, kind of situations. Yeah, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> so, of the eight, 8.2 million marijuana arrests between 2001 and 2010, 88% were simply for possessing weed. Nationwide, the arrest data revealed one consistent trend, significant racial bias, which he also says doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Obviously, uh... It, when it comes to these these situations where you encounter a police for possession, black people are 3.73 times more likely than whites to be arrested for possession. Profiling. Yeah. More recent data is a bit less complete, but still points to similar trends. More than 6 million arrests occurred between 2010 and 2018, and black people were still more likely to be arrested for possession than white people in every state, despite their rates of use being almost identical. And in, this includes states that have legalized marijuana as well. I, I really don't know where Alex is getting this. Oh, maybe there are a few people in the South. The only th- kind of charitable thing I can as- ascribe there is maybe he's saying most people serving prison sentences aren't there just for possession. There's There might have been other charges, but... Well, you can absolutely face a prison charge, prison charge for, like, minor possession, because... Say you cross a state border, and both states are recreational legal, mind you. Say you cross a state border with one gram of weed, you've committed a federal crime. Yes. Which, obviously, is a felony charge, and you will serve jail, sometimes prison sentences for that. Yeah, I, like, this This was such a blatant lie that I tried really hard to find, like, where he might be getting his numbers I, I I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. He doesn't either. But yeah, not only is mass incarceration a lie, but if if incarceration does get worse, it's because all this weed is making us violent. Sure. So paradoxically, you know, so in the short term, marijuana can reduce anxiety, certainly, and it can get you high. But it, like most anti-anxiety drugs, you can have bad rebound anxiety if you try to quit. I mean, yes. that's true of benzodiazepines, Big too. Time. That's a known risk, okay? Yes. Further, cannabis has this effect on people where it makes them paranoid, some people, some of the time, okay? And if you have this predisposition or if you're sliding into mental illness and you start smoking a lot, you may sort of temporarily muffle that anxiety at the cost of your paranoid symptoms getting worse. And there is, you know, there's been a fair amount of research done into what causes people with severe mental illness to become violent because this is something again that the, the now this is this is an this is why I'm an annoyance to the mental illness community you know mental health professionals because they hate talking about this even though they know it's true. Psychosis is a very severe risk for violence, possibly the most sort of severe single risk. Okay, people who are psychotic commit serious violent crime at rates depending on the crime you know anywhere from two to twenty times the average person. Okay, and the more violent, the more severe the violence, the higher the differential. Okay, so when you look at what drives that risk, it's paranoia more than anything else. Because, and that makes intuitive sense, right? If you feel someone is a threat to you, they're controlling your mind, or you know they are the devil, or whatever it is, you will feel. 
justified in lashing out at them. Yes. And so a drug that induces paranoia, well, at the same time, sort of muffling your, your, your symptoms visibly for a while can make you very dangerous. Okay? And, that, and, and so when you look at heavy users of cannabis, especially those with underlying mental illness, their risk of violence is very high. He, he's full of shit. Um, uh-huh. This is a recent massive study from 2022, the, the most robust of its kind. Quote, this review of the available literature on violence and aggression supports this notion that such symptoms are often a consideration in providing care to psychiatric patients. We can conclude from the information in this review that individuals with mental illness, when appropriately treated, do not pose an increased risk of violence to the general population regardless of marijuana use. Violence may be more of an issue in patients diagnosed with personality disorders and substance dependence. The overall impact of mental illness as a factor in the violence that occurs in society as a whole appears to be overemphasized, possibly intensifying the stigma already surrounding psychiatric disorders. Violence and mental illness are not without connection, however, as they share many biologic and psychological aspects. So that was pretty jargony, but basically what they're saying is that um, it might look on paper like people who use marijuana commit more violent crimes. However, if you control for like who gets treatment for mental illnesses, then that difference disappears. So um, what is likely happening is that you're seeing people trying to self-medicate issues that already exist, and that's why the rates look higher. Because if you treat those issues, then who, who uses weed and who doesn't has no effect on the rate. Yeah. You know what this makes me think of? You probably don't remember this. but um, So the first time I ever got high, I was alone in my apartment, and um, I got super paranoid that like, people were watching me. And so I was texting you to kind of just keep myself grounded, and you sent me a selfie standing in front of a door, and I got convinced that you were standing in front of my door, and so I thought you were in my house. Oh. <laughs> and I was trying to find you for like 45 minutes. Huh. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I, uh, I don't remember that night because I was probably high as shit. So then, Thomas, this next clip brings us to what made me want to do this, do this episode in the first place. Okay, I'm excited. So... Probably the most memorable crime in the last decade took place, I, I believe, in 2012 in Miami. I think it was under a bridge where a homeless guy grabbed a man and, and ate him, ate part of his face. He was a cannibal. He was famously, and so everyone reading this, well, how the hell did that? I mean, that's so horrifying. We wanted to know the details, and we learned that this homeless man had been smoking something called bath salts, which most of us never heard of, that were a kind of crypto-legal compound sold at convenience stores. There was a whole series of stories about this. You tweeted something the other day that kind of shocked me. Not the first time you shocked me with your tweets. Here's what you wrote. Quote, fun fact, the 2012 Miami bath salts attack was a cannabis-only case. If you say I'm wrong on this, I'm just going to block you. The facts are unequivocal, and I have no patience for people who won't accept reality anymore. This was a couple of days ago. What? Yeah, no, I mean, look, they, uh, they, they checked his blood. He didn't have any, and you know, you can look for all these designer uh, hallucinogens. He didn't have any of those. He had cannabis. High strength, high potency THC is plenty psychomimetic for most people, okay? It, it, is, it, is, it is a dissociative drug, and, and it can cause paranoia, and it can, and it can you know, lead you almost to, to a, you know, a full-blown trip. If you're using a lot of it regularly, that is okay. true. Yeah. You ever had a weed trip? Ah. 
that made you into a goddamn cannibal. <laughs> yes, every single night I would go down my street and eat every man I came across. I love it when my teeth get stuck and just absolutely nosh on their flesh. Man, I just want to just want to smoke a blunt and go find somebody's face to gnaw. <laughs> I mean, everyone's heard about that case. It's literally a meme on the internet. I think I think there's like a beginning clip of it. Someone recorded like the homeless man walking around naked. The clip ended up on ridiculousness. Yeah. Like it's everywhere. And I can assure you that they would not just recently when everything would be legalized or everywhere would be legalized in recreational weed that it was cannabis only. Plus, you got to understand this is a homeless guy. Who does he know that sells weed? <laughs> Have you ever heard the expression, don't smoke what you don't know? I, you get, this man has been through hell. He's homeless for Pete's sake. Homeless people have it rough. And obviously, yes, I mean, if you smoke a lot of weed, you will get paranoid. But it's not like a ridiculous bone chilling, I'm going to kill people paranoid. Unless, unless, you're homeless and the world spits on you. At the, I mean, I'm not saying it was weed, but you got to understand on top of that, he does, he probably doesn't know anybody that sells good weed around him because he's homeless for one. He's got no money. He's going to find the cheapest thing he can. That's why recreational weed is actually really important because in scenarios like this, who knows what the guy smoked? It might have actually been bath salts that he thought was weed. Yeah. Like, you can't just go out on the street find some random dude standing at a corner, you find like $5 a gram bud that looks really suspect and smoke it and expect to be fine. You can't. It's you. There's a lot of stuff out there that's not safe, especially in wax, which could have actually also been something that might have been possible in this scenario. Wax is so easy to add anything to and just get away with it because you're heating a glass piece or a metal piece to over 700 degrees and then vaporizing this wax. Well, anything that gets added is going to vaporize with it. So it's not going to be found as a trace in the, in like the burnt off wax. And it's obviously going to affect you. So you're going to feel the weed high of whatever weed is in there, but you're going to be very, very shocked when you find something else in your high that was not weed. And it's more common than people think. That's why recreational weed and legal dispensaries are actually so crucial to people who like to smoke weed. It's safe. It's like, it's guaranteed stuff. And his evidence there this, that this is a weed-only case is that that was the only drug they found in the guy's system at the time. There are two important things to keep in mind here. One is that a lot of these, like, designer hallucinogens don't stay in your system very long. No. Um, and weed, by comparison... You can find traces longer than a lot of other similar drugs. If you hair test for weed, it takes, what, like three months, maybe six, to get out of your system? Right. And another thing to know about bath salts is that, and I don't understand the chemistry of this, but I, I did find multiple sources confirming this, that the compound that's typically dominant in bath salts, the psychoactive compound, you can still have paranoid delusions for like two or three days after it's no longer in your system. So the fact that that substance was no longer in his system by the time they did the autopsy, but weed still was, isn't that weird? No. And, I mean, that's another reason of why I feel like there should be more defined drug classifications. Weed's not a hallucinogenic. No. You're not going to see shadow people. 
And bath salts, I mean, obviously, true hallucinogenics, unless it's mushrooms with psilocybin, will be in your system for less than five days. I mean, you you can probably drop some weak LSD and take a drug test, even spine tap like a week later and maybe pot like test pot or test negative for it and pass your test. Not a guarantee. Don't go try it. I'm not a scientist, but (laughs) I mean, yeah, with also on top of that with hallucinogenics, I mean, also with like mushrooms and weed, you'll see things a couple days after your trip and it'll, the physical stuff will be out of your system. It's just, it's mind altering, like literally physically mind altering. And this is so frustrating to me because like there are people who, I mean, mean, weed isn't for everybody, right? There are people who are going to have a bad experience with weed. And usually those people, they'll just try it a couple of times, decide, oh, it's not for me and not going to do that anymore. But I mean, I've had friends whose lives have been made significantly worse by a bad relationship with weed. And that is a, that is a worthwhile conversation, but people like Alex Berenson make it impossible for us to calmly have that conversation because they want to jump in at any opening we give them be like, yeah, and then it's going to make you eat everybody's fucking face. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, without going into detail or anything, I mean, you and I have a decent amount of addiction in our family. We've seen a lot of this shit play out. Oh yeah. And none of it is, it's this black and white, like, oh, well, there's a higher rate of this happening, so therefore keep keeping it illegal is the best way to go. But, like, it's never that easy. <laughs> no. Usually the people that make addiction statistics have never been addicted. It's, uh, a lot of it's the same story, too. Especially with alcohol addiction. But, yeah, I mean, it's a real thing, and it's not black and white. You can't just... You can't get addicted to something and then your life falls apart, like, overnight. Yeah. It can, and it probably will if you don't get addressed, but it's not overnight and you become psychotic. If you thought that if you thought that Alex couldn't escalate this from cannibalism, wait till you hear him veer into child murder. Okay, so there are states like Florida and, and Texas that actually look at um, root causes of child deaths, okay? Child deaths from abuse and neglect. And, um, and what you find is that the drug that 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 is associated with parental or caregiver use far more than any other, including alcohol, is cannabis. Okay, that 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 for you know, look, killing your child or allowing your child to starve to are these terrible cases. Okay, you have to be pretty dissociated and pretty yes. mentally ill to do that most of the time. And so, and so, I mean, again, you know, anecdotally, you, when you read the cases, they're horrible. But people just descend into this madness that allows them to behave impossibly cruelly to their children. So this is a example of how Alex Berenson cherry picks whatever information is convenient and ignores everything else. Yeah. It sounds like he, well, he looked at two States results and I, I haven't read it, but I feel like the numbers aren't very high, but because there are numbers, he's using them. Yeah. And like, okay. I can see it being true that in cases where you have parents who've committed neglect against their kids, that it's probably not uncommon that those parents use weed. It's not because of the weed that they neglected their kids. It's because they're, without generalizing it too much, I mean, people who have these kinds of unstable tendencies are going to gravitate toward more drug use in general. It, 
I don't think it's weird to find higher rates of frequent weed use among parents who might have been neglectful or abusive, but it's not because of the weed. It's because they have other shit going on that also makes them predisposed to problems with addiction. Right. This feels so mean-spirited. Like, there are so many people who smoke weed and are great parents. (laughs) Like... Probably more than whoever shows up on these two states that Alex looked at some data from and decided to help this fucking argument. Oh, plus it's Florida. Of course, numbers are going to be a little skewed. And like I said, this is a uh, this is a kind of bonus mini episode. So that's all the clips of I have of Alex Berenson. But I I did I do have one more thing I want to play. Thomas, are you familiar with Stephen A. Smith? You know, no, I can't say I am. He was a sports commentator and the only thing I've ever liked about sports. <laughs> um, and, I mean, Alex Berenson had to write a whole book to get his point across. Uh, Stephen A. Smith, I'm going to let Stephen A. Smith take him to task, because he articulates Alex's point so much better in just four words. Say, yeah. do it again, please. Stay off the weed! It's stay off <laughs> the weed and you can't stay off the weed he ain't getting busted for using weed stays off (laughs) the weed you couldn't stay off the weed stay off the damn weed and they don't (laughs) listen stupid sit there and stay on the weed What's next? I, I don't know. Codeine, weed, D, alcohol. I mean, what? What's next? What's next? Codeine, DMT, alcohol. What's next? Yeah. So you didn't have to write a book, Alex Berenson. and it's right there on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, roughly a minute long. <laughs> so. Thomas, one thing I always do on this show, uh, because the way Tucker ends every episode of Tucker Carlson tonight, he says, um, this is the show that's the sworn enemy of lying, spongous, pomposity, and groupthink. And it, all four of those things perfectly describe him, so it drives me insane. Uh, so what I do every episode on this show is I like to ask my co-host, what's our sworn enemy of the week? Hmm. Our swarm, our sworn enemy of the week, not to get the words mixed up here. Is a swarm. Brood X. <laughs> Fuck the cicadas. <laughs> Fuck the cicadas. Alright, everybody. This has been our first mini-sode. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll be doing a few more if uh, if Tucker puts out any more of these hour-long podcasts that pique my interest. In the meantime, we'll be back, but we have a website. It's tucker.pod.com. Email the show, tucker.pod at gmail.com. We have a Patreon, and uh, I... Just noticed as we're recording this, it looks like we have a first donor, so you're going to get a proper shout-out on our full episode Sunday. Oh, yeah, man. (laughs) Um, In the meantime, thank you so much for listening, and remember, stay off the weed! The weed! Buck up, it's going to get better.